as Southern Baptists, we uh, we do a lot of things in this uh, in this country and around the world. Uh, with the priority being the gospel, the good news of Christ, and proclaiming the gospel. But along with that, and in conjunction with that, we have a, uh, a ministry called Disaster Relief. And it is the third largest uh, organization um, to help meet needs of those who are going through uh, crisis situations. Uh, Red Cross is uh, the largest organization. Uh, the second largest organization is the Salvation Army, and then the third is uh, the Southern Baptist uh, Southern uh, Disaster Relief. And uh, we have an individual in our church, uh, Rob Ostrom, who went to uh, North Carolina a couple of weeks ago to uh, help uh, clean up after a huge hurricane. Um, was it Hurricane? What hurricane was it? Irene? Florence, Hurricane Florence, and there was a lot of uh, destruction, a lot of flooding, and uh, Rob was there for 10 days or so, and uh, I've asked him to come and to share with us uh, all that uh, he experienced, and uh, I'm sure he's going to be encouraging us to participate in uh, disaster relief, because as you know, there's some things going on in our state right now due to the fires. And, uh, but uh, Rob's going to come and share more. So please welcome Rob Ostrom. Yeah. Am I on? It sounds like, okay. I'm going to try something a little different uh, to see if I can. I've got talk about several things about disaster relief. I want to give you a little background. Bill already told you a little bit about it uh, being the third largest in the country. That's uh, something not well known or publicized. It's kind of a hidden secret almost out there. Uh, but they have, uh, it's part of NAM, the North American Mission Board. But the reality is they each go, there's different chapters of it, if you will, through the state conventions. So California being a large state has uh, its own California Southern Baptist Disaster Relief Organization, centered out of Fresno. Uh, there's there's two, two conventions in Texas. They're so big. But Oklahoma has one. Some of the smaller states, like uh, Washington and Oregon, are combined into one, uh, the way they operate. But there is, it was interesting. I was This is my third trip with them. I was in, uh, the first trip was in Colorado, the Black Forest Fire by Colorado Springs. Several years ago, we were doing cleanup of burned houses, similar to what you see up in uh, the Paradise area today. The uh, second trip was flood cleanup in southern Arkansas a couple of years ago, and then this trip to South Carolina. The, uh, the, the first picture is, uh, I guess it's the picture on the left is a church we stay in. When we go out, we usually stay at a local church. This was appropriately named Living Waters Baptist Church. <laughs> of long South Carolina. The South Carolinians, uh, in some respects, felt a little slighted, I think. The, uh, the hurricane actually hit up in uh, North Carolina, and it was, I think I got it right, Her California, the, uh, yeah, Her Hurricane Florence in September of this year. It hit up in uh, North Carolina. It didn't do a lot of wind damage, but it dumped 30 or 40 inches of rain up there. 
The irony is that a lot of that rain blows through creeks and rivers that go through South Carolina to the ocean. So South Carolina got hit really hard. Uh, so, so did North Carolina. But and then a couple of weeks later, Hurricane uh, in October in Florida, Hurricane Michael hit. So the news was focused on North Carolina. Then Hurricane Michael hits Florida. Nobody even talked about South Carolina. And they were feeling a little bit slighted, like nobody even paying attention to them. There's literally hundreds of homes there were flooded uh, and, and still in turmoil today. And that's where we were. But you work out of uh, the primary reason we go is, is to spread the gospel and to help people to be the, uh, as the Bible says, the hands and feet of Jesus on the ground. It doesn't take much to go. Um, I'll talk about that in a few minutes uh, later. The, uh, I want to make sure I get my, in 2017, just a little bit of statistics for the Southern Baptist Disaster Relief. Uh, as Bill said, there's over, we're the sec- third largest in the uh, country with over 80,000-plus trained volunteers. In 2017 alone, with one million, over 1 million volunteer hours provided, 70,000 showers provided, 4,200 gospel presentations, th- over 3 million meals prepared, and over 32,000 loads of laundry done and 800-plus confessions of faith. That's that's uh, just 2017 alone. Um, and I'm going to see if this, if this works, and it does. It's amazing. The, <laughs> mo- most of the time, I, I mentioned, we go out, the, uh, the state conference, we have a disaster like in Carolina. The Carolina folks request help from other places. California says, uh, there's a guy named Mike Bevins who's a lead now in Fresno, says we'll try, we'll send a couple teams out to help. And uh, so they send an email out or Facebook blast out saying we need volunteers to do this. In this case, it was flood cleanup and chaplains. They, uh, so w- many of us have had training. I know Doug Cole has had in the past, Mike and Charlene Crouch, Ron Page, there's probably others in the, in the church who have gone through their basic training and are eligible to go. I mean, you can, they need almost anybody. If you can swing a sledgehammer or sweep a floor or cook a meal, you're qualified. Um, they have a basic training class you go through, which is a couple hours just to give a little orientation to the, to the program and the types of people you're going to be interfacing with and how you should, we, 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 we react and, and we work with the folks, things like that. But they, uh, so we got a call about three, four weeks ago, maybe, a month ago, maybe four or five weeks ago, saying looking for a team to go to South Carolina. I sent back an email saying I, I can go these dates, and I got an email back within a day or so saying, great, here's you're one of five people that are going from team from a team here. Uh, typically, the team has a what they call a blue hat, which is our lead guy, and they also typically almost always send a chaplain which is a specially trained person to help interface. The blue hat is kind of the team lead. The chaplain is the one uh, who interfaces with the people who have gone through disaster typically and talks to them. Uh, you know, some of what Jody told me, uh, an empathetic engineer is oxymoron. <laughs> so uh, they, they keep some of us away from the, those who, are, who, who have suffered the, the disaster, and we have people specially trained to work with them and talk to them, pray with them, things like that. 
But the uh, so when you go out, we normally you 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 typically go. We flew to South Carolina, Myrtle Beach. They set us up in this Living Waters Baptist Church. Typically, you're in a classroom, men men in one one classroom, women in another classroom, sleeping on cots or air mattresses, and they have a, a common area where you can where we eat in the kitchen type area that they make us meals with. Uh, we got luxury accommodation this time. There was a couple teams from Texas, and they brought this uh, uh, bunkhouse unit. So our team got to stay in this uh, bunkhouse. Um, I'm, I'm not going to go through. I have uh, just a few slides. I won't go through and bore you with lots of slides, but this is just one of them. And uh, so that worked out pretty nice. There were other teams there when we were there. From There was a couple teams from Texas, from North Carolina, from Kentucky, and, from, and uh, I think from South Carolina. So the teams are coming and going all the time. Typically, we go for about eight or nine days at a time, especially when you're going across country. Other teams that were more local would come for shorter periods of time, but when you're flying across country, it works uh, if you stay a while. We, we helped a lot of people. Uh, the, ir- the irony in this place, uh, several of the folks that we worked with, they, families that lived together, this was one house that where there was uh, the matriarch of the family. I think I think the husband was alive at this time. Owned a house in this uh, kind of little community. Um, she had three sons that lived there with their families, and just right next to that, they had a small candy shop, the family business. Everything flooded, so not only got one family member, but the whole family and the family business was destroyed with floods, and they're all trying to recover. Uh, so it's kind of a pretty devastating uh, for those folks, even if they're not necessarily destitute uh, and have some resources to help. It's it's tough when your whole family gets wiped out like that. The uh, And I should have commented, most of the time the people we help are not the, the, the wealthy or the insured folks. It's uh, typically those who are not insured. Um, a lot of times the lower class, lower middle class folks but not necessarily always. Uh, we go in and tear out drywall. I'm going to show some other pictures here in a moment. This is one house, a larger house, actually a relatively nice house, put together or built, I think, four or five years ago uh, for a fellow that was going to retire from New England someplace, a retirement home. And uh, he hadn't been able to move down there yet because his wife got cancer was going through chemotherapy at some hospital up in New England, and he had a, I think she was a daughter and a grandson that lived in the house. Uh, I think she was probably the daughter was probably around 40, that age group, and the two of them lived there, and were waiting for the uh, their parents to move down. Uh, this house, it's a little hard to see. It's up on blocks, so there's a crawl space underneath. Unlike California construction, you know, it's on this lab. So you're up on you're up on a probably uh, at least 30 inches or so off the ground to start with. The flooding went up to the, about the bottom of the windows, the lower level windows. So that means that the whole front yard was under five or six feet of water. Uh, the uh, and then these folks didn't have a lot of these areas or places we worked in. They said it, it never flooded there. You don't need flood insurance. <laughs> um, this particular family is even worse. They uh, had applied for help from FEMA, and because technically this was their second home, they weren't qualified. (laughs) 
So we spent probably 300 man hours cleaning out this house. It had been sitting there mostly untouched for five or six weeks after the flood. After it's the whole first floor has been flooded, like I say, a good 30 inches or so inside the house, and been sitting there for the most part buttoned up in 80 degree plus 90 percent humidity for six weeks. So you can imagine what it looks like inside. They, they told us rule number one when you go into one of these places is tape up the refrigerator and get it out of there. Don't open it. <laughs> um, you can imagine if you took your refrigerator, put it in 90 degree weather and let it sit like that for six weeks, what it would look like or smell like inside. Uh, I had not, not experienced it, but others have told me they have, and you don't want to experience it. So we went in into this house and gutted essentially the whole first floor. Um, it's uh, Some of the pictures maybe aren't showing up. This is a bathroom. You can see uh, this is the water line right in here. Above this is mold, black mold growing, and it doesn't really show up as well in the, in the, in the photo perhaps, but the mold is actually growing. Um, here's another picture of the living Another bathroom, mold all the way up to the sides. Most mold was growing all the way up to, to the ceiling of the first floor. So we had to t we took out everything: kitchen, bathrooms, drywall, the whole works. And that's after about three fourths of the way through. What it's looking like? That's a kitchen area. And a pile of debris in the backyard. We had one big dumpster we filled up, but we, they didn't have any more dumpsters. Dumpsters are premium oftentimes at these locations. So we just stack it up and they'll come by later and, and tall it away. But uh, that's the back of the house. The other nice thing that is the more fun job, if you want to really get fun, these, these are up on crawl spaces underneath them, as I mentioned. In that crawl space is, one, there's insulation in the, floor joists underneath there. Second is all the heating and air conditioning ductwork, which is also full of water. So you go in there and, and crawl underneath there on your hands and knees or elbows and tear out all that stuff and crawling around in the rancid water and sewage for a couple hours. And that, that makes, a, makes a fun day. The, uh, I, it's, it's also interesting. I, I didn't have a picture of it, but... Uh, the lady that was living there, when you go in, you saw in the bathroom the towel hanging on the wall still there, toothbrushes on the counter. It's just like somebody was living there and didn't left, uh, which they did. Um, kitchen ta kitchen countertop, all had stuff laying out like you, you or I probably have on our kitchen countertop. A notepad, a to-do list, pay taxes, uh, get groceries. The, the one uh, that, that struck several of us was, File divorce papers, <laughs> um, uh, but still sitting there six weeks later, not touched, essentially. The, uh, so we clean it all up. Um, let's see. Went to another neighborhood. It was, it was all, once again, this typical middle-class type neighborhood. This was on slabs, but uh, all these houses in this neighborhood experienced two to three feet of water in them. Everyone, and you look up and down the street, some, a couple of folks had trailers that they were living in as they were trying to rebuild 
Uh, what the disaster teams typically do is just uh, demolition-type work and get it ready to rebuild. Um, whether you're doing fire cleanup, you clean out all the ash and all the debris, or in this case, flood, clean, make it so it's, you, you can rebuild again. Um, we did one house here. We did a total of seven homes uh, that we completed uh, in this about eight or nine days we were there. And we had other help, too, with our, besides our five-man team. They had some local teams come in, uh, volunteers from different places were coming in and helping us out. And that was a big help because I say most of this is just work, manual labor. Uh, oops. It's once again hauling out the debris and everything in the houses. Uh, in the more uh, urban-type areas, you could pile this stuff just by the street, and I guess a county or city had trucks that came by and picked it all up. This was a typical DR lunch, uh, seeing buckets outside our uh, work, work truck and trailer. Uh, we had a, a Texas teams brought in a couple of trucks and trailers that we were able to use one of them. The trailer has uh, all the supplies you need from your gloves and uh, Tyvek suits, uh, boots, shovels, rakes, uh, hammers, whatever. Everything you need was essentially in one of these trailers. The... Uh, Couple, couple of stories. One, this, uh, the, the previous home I just showed, we did, worked in there for a day and got it all done. On our way out of just packing up and leaving, a lady comes up to us, probably once again, roughly 40-ish or so, uh, and asked, hey, are you guys doing cleanups? My mother's been waiting for six weeks to have somebody help her out, and nobody's, nobody's volunteered or helped. So we told her that... Uh, we can help, but you have to call the Living Waters Baptist Church. You gave her the phone number because they're the ones coordinating all this. And we just do what they tell us to do. We go to the sites that they, they point out. Uh, I forgot to mention, perhaps beginning to, most of the time before we, the teams get there even, there's a survey team that goes out and looks at all the different jobs and makes a, a list of all the, the jobs that are needed to be done and prioritizes them by needs and things of that sort. So they, they had a list at the church, and they, they've been working there since the flood. I mean, this, we weren't the first people there. We were just one team of many that had been there for, they've been working out of there for the last six, probably seven, eight weeks now, and doing lots of the church itself. Uh, we, we represent the Southern Baptist. Uh, we, I guess first we represent the Lord Jesus Christ, then the Southern Baptist group, uh, kind of third, the local church. So we tell, when we, we're out and about working, we're telling folks that the, we're, we're working at a Living Waters Baptist Church. And uh, they, they actually got a lot of good publicity in that sense and helped a lot of people themselves as a church because it was all around. The, the church was not flooded, but the neighborhoods, almost every neighborhood around them was. <laughs> so they had lots of parishioners and others that uh, experienced the floods. This lady here is a double-wide trailer. She said she had been living there for 28 years, I think. Never flooded before, um, and this, uh, once again, the, the flood level was up to the bo about the bottom of the window level, the windowsill. It had been locked up for a good six weeks, and nothing taken. Uh, the furniture and everything's in it. Um, she was. Uh, we we. They they asked us if we could help. We gave them the phone number. 
By the time we got back to church that night, they'd already, this lady had already called and asked for help. The uh, disaster coordinator said, hey, you guys talk to this person. Uh, if you can, go, let's go back out there tomorrow and see if we can do it. So we went out there first thing the next morning, went to this, this, this place here. It was only about three or four blocks away from the previous house we had done. Uh, it turned out that the lady that talked to us, this is another one of those situations where the mother lived and father lived in this unit, and two daughters lived in two other houses within a few blocks of here. All of them, once again, were flooded. The, the uh, senior lady uh, had not had any help at all because they were trying to get the daughters' homes and stuff where the kids were, were up to up back in uh, condition, livable condition again. But uh, So this place hadn't been touched. Her husband had to leave the area because of the mold and the health conditions was up north with another son or daughter. I didn't get the whole story, but uh, they're, they're beside themselves the first day we went there. And so you look at this, and if, if you looked inside, it's not, it wasn't pretty. Our, our blue cap lead went to scope it out and said, yeah, we can do it. Talk to the lady, and they had to sign a piece of paper allowing us to, to tear apart the house. But he comes out and talks to us and says, hey, you guys are going to want to suit up for this one. What means you have full Tyvek suits, gloves, mittens, uh, boots, and the whole works. Because it was bad inside. The, uh, but they're in tears, literally, as, as we're looking at this and looking for help. So we went in there with our crew, our five folks, and we actually had about another five. Texas team helped us out, and another group, a local team of four or five, help us out for a better part of two days. Uh, let's see. We start hauling stuff out from inside and stacking it up. This is a family room wall. That's mold growing up the side of the wall. And the, the camera doesn't actually catch it. It's really all the way up to the ceiling. If you, it's hard to see, but the fan blades are covered with mold from sitting in there. So it, it is, it's bad. A kitchen, terrible. You look in the cabinetry, the kitchen cabinets, pots and pans are all full of water that's been sitting there because nowhere to go. But um, Otherwise, let's see, just another room of the same house. But we tore, tore everything out, had a big pile of probably 75 feet long in the front yard, six feet high almost. And by the time we're done, that's what it looks like. It's, it's ready to rebuild. The kitchens, bathrooms, everything's the drywall. Everything has been gutted down, down to the, f the base of the floor. We, we cleaned out underneath. We went in the crawl space, cleaned out the heating, air conditioning ductwork, the insulation under there. And... Uh, now they can, a crew can come in and start rebuilding. She came back at the end of the second day. We said, we're done. And, and they were almost, their whole countenance changes. They're almost giddy as far as uh, being happy for, or joyful that uh, there's a little hope left that you can, maybe we can do something with this. <laughs> um, that's, we had a, a neat team. There was a, a local credit union, agricultural credit union, I guess only gave loans to farmers. But uh, their lead CEO apparently was a Southern Baptist, and it authorized their uh, workers five days of leave 
if they would go help out and clean up people. So, excuse me. That was a pretty nice uh, gesture. These were five of the folks from that team, that credit unit, that came and helped us do this house or mobile home. Uh, back at the uh, uh, Living Waters Baptist Church, this is kind of like our dining hall out here with the kitchen that they let us use for the for the time being. The, the disaster coordinator worked out of there in a little office, and the kit cooks cooked us meals in the kitchen and service breakfast every morning. They had cold cuts and stuff we could make sandwiches with, uh, and ice and um, uh, bucket um, coolers that we could take with us for lunch and, and drinks and that sort. And then in the evenings at 6 o'clock, they always served dinner. That uh, credit union, which I thought was also a nice gesture, the uh, one they one night, the second to the last night we were there, came by and served, made meals, a meal for all the workers that were there. There's probably 40 people from the various teams. They had the sh- shrimp, uh, corn on the cob. Um, I can't think of the southern type, uh, all the food, uh, all chick- for chicken. And uh, I, there's all kinds of things they had. They had more shrimp than you could ever eat. They had buckets of shrimp that they're hauling around. But they, uh, and then at the end of the evening, the CEO gave a $50,000 check um, <clears throat> to the uh, South Carolina Disaster Coordinator for for help. That was a Texas team that worked with us. I just picture a truck and trailer that we used. Oh, I, this is a the lady down here is probably one of the most important people. Her, her and her, she, there's another lady. The two of them that were there for the most of the time we were there. <clears throat> Excuse me. This unit here, they they manned this trailer that you see here. This trailer is a shower laundry unit. <laughs> um, there's three showers here, and there's three on the back side. And the back of the trailer was a laundry unit. It's really nice to get a shower after crawling around the mud all day long. <laughs> and that's what they did is keep the shower units clean. And you drop your clothes off with them in the evening. And the next evening you had clean, pressed clothes that you could use the following day. So if, if you know how to clean a shower or do laundry, that, it's really those folks that do that, along with the cooks in the kitchen, that fed us was a, was really a critical position. Uh, they did give us one day off Sunday. We went to church with them there and got to go down to the beach for a day. And that was our team from California. And let me, uh, that's I think that's it. One other story that uh, the uh, came one morning. We have devotions every morning. And... The uh, youth pastor from church came and did a devotion for us. Told, actually, told us his story, and I, I didn't. I won't do it quite as nicely and as eloquently as he did. But he was a, a youth pastor, probably in his early 30s. Had came down there, been in seven, eight years at this Longs, South Carolina Southern Baptist, Living Water Southern, Living Waters Baptist Church. He uh, had bought a home. Four, three, four years ago, before 2015, so 2014 or something like that, in a relatively new 
uh, residential area. That we, we, we didn't work there, but we went and drove by it. And all pretty nice homes that just, homes are probably less than 10 years old. And he said he just due diligence before buying a home. He uh, checked out. Everybody told him this is not a flood zone. You don't have to worry. It's never flooded here. Um, don't worry about that. He said, okay. So they bought the house. <coughs> Excuse me. 2015 come. And I think it was in conjunction with Hurricane Joaquin, and they called it a thousand-year storm came. Some of you heard of that back there? And apparently it was, it was really bad in that area. He said water got up on their street a little bit, you know, like it does here when rain come. He said, wow, a thousand-year flood, and a storm comes, and we didn't get any water in the house or anything in close, so we must be good. Um, next year, 2016, Hurricane Matthew hit, which was even worse. He said water got up to the grass in the front yard and stuff, but not nowhere near the home. And he said, man, we've survived these two years. Nothing. It must be good. They, they were right. It doesn't flood here. Well, Hurricane Florence hit September 2018. The, uh, the good part is because it hit up in North Carolina, they had several days a notice that things were going to get bad. They, you know, the people, the engineers and stuff were watching the floodwaters rise. And they knew it was coming. He said that he was talking to the Corps of Engineers or whoever does that and said, yeah, they think it might get up to your door, but it shouldn't get in the house. And he said, okay, that doesn't sound too bad. The day before the flooding in his area hit, he talked to him again, and they said, we made a mistake. It could be two feet higher. <laughs> he said, well, he got the, the plus part, he got a crew together. They emptied out most of the furniture and all the stuff on the floor or put it up on blocks or whatever. And sure enough, the flood hit, and it came about two feet in the house, up the house. He said the nice part, too, was three days after the flood, uh, his wife gave birth to their second child. <laughs> so he said it, it, was, it was a little rough. But uh, then with, with a... With a support system like he has, he uh, was able to get in right after the water succeeded, subsided, succeeded, subsided, subsided. Uh, relatively, you know, they subside relatively quickly. So they got a crew in there, cut up the drywall four feet off the ground, everything uh, up four feet, which is below the flood level, and you can start drying things out before the molds and stuff start growing. So you don't have to rip out everything. So he had a crew doing that, and uh, he said he's, he's got three jobs now. This was as of two weeks ago. One, he's rebuilding his own house. Second, he's doing youth pastor work. And third, he's helping other parishioners build, rebuild their house because there's a lot of people in this church that lost, uh, lost homes that way. I think the, the lesson kind of in my mind was that uh, this other lady with the support, she had, she had support structure in the form of of family members, which is good, but when all family members get wiped out, that doesn't help an awful lot. Uh, but it really helps if you have a church family, uh, <clears throat> so where where somebody you can count on. And we we met people over and over again doing some of these tasks. That I, I know if any one of us here needed help, we could get half a dozen guys rounded up in a couple hours. They couldn't get a couple dozen guys in six weeks to help them. 
and, and I, not a couple dozen, but you know, just a half a dozen. Uh, so they're really, they're really destitute in that sense. And uh, the, the uh, message I think is that uh, it helps that that support structure, and particularly a church support structure, and probably a uh, you know the uh, uh, we call it here the uh, the life groups are a good way to do that and and have people that you can count on when things go bad. If uh, otherwise, a couple of final comments. Um, if you want to volunteer and do this kind of work, most of the people that do it, I, I bet three-fourths of them are, are retirees. They're the people that, unfortunately, disasters never happen at opportune times. So when you can take leave and stuff like that, it's hard. Some of us, it gets easier as we get older to, to take leave and to get away for a couple of weeks. But I know when you're younger, it's hard to do. Uh, but you can donate. Um, you can certainly donate to California Southern Baptist Disaster Relief, and it'll go be the, the night before we left to were to fly home. All of us got emails. They're looking for volunteers to go to the campfire up north in Paradise. And they've got, I just saw this morning, they've got chaplains up there today from Washington, Oklahoma, California, and Oregon, I think it was, uh, up there working with the people. They've also got uh, uh, kitchen units and shower units and laundry units, I believe, up there that are working. So if you can, uh, some of the teams, I didn't mention that earlier, they, we do flood, they do flood cleanup, fire cleanup. They have equipment operators that do like bobcats and forklifts, and little mini excavators. Uh, chainsaw crews, cooks, uh, different, they have cooks that are doing cooking for the volunteers themselves, like for us when we were there. In our case, there was a husband and wife team that came in and did the cooking, just like the kitchen like we have back here. Chaplains, the administrative survey type people, kitchen, shower, laundry unit folks, all the people that, that are needed to do this. Uh, all, all of these, I don't have the numbers either, but it's a fairly efficient organization. In a sense, I think in the whole state of California, there's only less than a handful of people that are paid. Everybody else is volunteer. But it still costs to, to, for, to maintain equipment, uh, facilities, to buy the supplies that you need for, to do the work and those kind of things. Uh, but there's jobs for almost every, any, everybody. Uh, the, the plus side, too, is it's just a lot of work, manual labor for the most part. But... Uh, you get to meet a lot of people from other parts of the country that are there helping you and working alongside you. And we've got actually got to talk to probably three-fourths of the homeowners that I've worked, who've done cleanup with. I've participated in talking to them and getting their story and just listening to them. Uh, and that's always interesting. <clears throat> you can always tell when you show up, they're a little leery. Who are these guys in yellow, yellow uh uh, T-shirts. We always wear yellow shirts with, say, the disaster relief uh, kind of a outfit. So you're, you're fairly, you're well known in the communities when you show up there. But still, folks are leery about uh, who are these folks coming in. They're not. They're going to charge us, or they're not going to charge us any money to do this cleanup. You know, is, is this really? Can is that people really do that kind of stuff? And to the second day, usually when you're done. And I say their countenance all changes, and, and there's hope that once again you, there might be a, a future. 
Uh, let's see. So I think that's about it, Bill. If if you want to volunteer, you go on their website and, join, and you take a training uh, or see me and I can help you point you to the right location. The training is, the basic training is like a couple hours. It just uh, it doesn't take much. Unfortunately, none of it's offered here in Ridgecrest, so you don't have to drive to Fresno or or down south or Bakersfield or one of those places, but uh, easy, easy to do. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Rob. And I encourage you to participate in that if uh, you have the ability to do so. And um, I know time's short here, and uh, we want to take this opportunity to uh, observe the Lord's Supper this morning. But before I do, I just want to share a few comments about, um, you know, the fact that we live in a broken world. And it seems like these disasters are taking place more and more often in, in our world. And, uh, you know, the Bible is not silent on this issue. And I am so grateful for that, that uh, Jesus tells us uh, why these things are occurring. And if you have your Bible, I want to just read uh, verses 18 through 26 this morning that uh, just points out the fact that uh, we live in this uh, fallen world and um, in this time of suffering. Verse 18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject, subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. And so we see all these disasters and things of this nature occurring um, in our day and day age, but uh, throughout history. And the reason is because it is God who has subjected all of creation to this suffering, to this brokenness, but he didn't subject this creation to to futility in hopelessness, but in hope. The hope knowing that Jesus is sovereign over it all. Let me continue to read. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Yes, it is a... It is a painful time of suffering and heartache and loss. But all this this heartache is taking place in a labor and delivery room. And what that means is, yes, it's hard right now. And just like a mother is giving... Um, uh, is, is laboring in pain for the birth of this child, you know what? That pain is only going to last momentarily. 
and that on the other side of this pain is going to be a brand new baby that is going to create great joy in her life and in her family's life. And that's the same thing that's taking place among us in this world today. Yes, the creation is groaning. Yes, there are people who have lost everything. But in this heartache and pain, we have great hope because in this groaning, guess what? Something good is going to occur on the other side. And not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved now Hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We have this hope, and what are we anticipating? What are we longing for? Our full redemption. Jesus is coming back and he's going to make all things brand new. And the reason why he can is because he died for the brokenness of this world. He died for the sin that invaded mankind and all of creation. And Jesus died. Jesus died for that sin. He God's wrath, God's wrath was poured out on his son. Jesus took the abuse. Jesus took the punishment. Jesus went through the suffering and he died for the sin of mankind. But three days later, church, he came out of that grave. He conquered sin and death. And he conquered it, and Jesus walked among his disciples on on this earth for 40 days. And before he ascended, he said, go and make disciples. Go into all the earth and make them disciples. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am going to be with you always. And I am going to come again. Church, that is our hope. Jesus just didn't come and was resurrected and ascended and that's done and it's done. No. The story isn't over. He's coming back. And when he comes back, he's going to make all things brand new. And he's going to judge those who have rejected him. And those for those who have believed, we are going to be made brand new. We are going to have perfect, imperishable bodies ready for a new heaven and a new earth. And we are going to spend all of eternity with our Lord and Savior forever and ever and ever. Life is kind of like a rope. This rope has no beginning and this rope has no end. 
Life is for eternity. And God has created you and I and placed us on this rope for just a brief moment. And once we die, guess what? That rope continues. And for those whose lives are in Christ, our life continues forever and ever with no end. That's the hope that we have in Jesus. And so Jesus tells us to remember, remember what he did to redeem us. To buy us back, to make us right again. It was through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And as we remember and as we know that, church, we have hope. And he wants us to have hope in the midst of the darkness of this world. Because we know this ain't it. This is all just temporary. The best is yet to come. And that's our hope. So church, let's prepare our hearts for observing the Lord's Supper this morning. God doesn't want us to take this supper in an unworthy manner. If there's sin, if there's broken fellowship between us and the Lord this morning, I want you to take this opportunity as we worship this morning to get right with God so that as we observe this supper this morning, you can do it in in a worthy manner, not in and of yourself, but because of the grace of God that's in you. So let's go to the Lord in prayer, and we're going to uh, pray and worship together. Father, I... Thank you for the love that you have for us in Christ Jesus. Father, I thank you that your word is not silent when it comes to uh, the disasters that take place both here and abroad. God, there's a lot of people who are suffering right now because of natural disasters, because of physical health because of of cancer or heart conditions or, or diseases that are in this world. But there's a lot of hurt today because of how people have treated one another. Because, Lord, we have a tendency of thinking more about ourselves than of the other person. Because because that, we don't come across very loving very often. And we're selfish. We take advantage of others. But all of this is sin. This is all consequences of sin. God, you know what your children are going through or experiencing this morning. God, give them hope. You've given us the Holy Spirit. 
the first fruits of our inheritance. And knowing that, Jesus, we can persevere. We can be patient. We can hope. Knowing that, God, that you have a bigger purpose, a plan for what we're going through, what we're, what we're experiencing. So, Jesus, this morning we want to say thank you for paying the price for our redemption that we did not deserve. May your name be glorified this morning. Would you stand with me, please, as we sing the song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us.